This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week and uh, kind of putting the finishing touches here on March as we head into this final weekend of the month. Lots to talk about. Uh, busy time. Uh, we've got work going on in Congress uh, for a disaster bill. We'll get the latest on that. We've got a lawsuit in Iowa. Two environmental groups, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement and Food and Water Watch, have filed a lawsuit suing the state of Iowa, claiming the state has violated its obligation to protect the Raccoon River for the use and benefits of Iowans. And uh, we're going to get reaction to that from the chair of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Mark Recker will be joining us to talk about uh, the lawsuit and also get his thoughts on the flooding situation there in the state of Iowa as well. Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us. We want to talk trade, the China talks going on, what's happening with USMCA. And there's an EPA public hearing going on today concerning the RFS and E15. We'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters about that later in the program. But let's start things off with uh, the news out of Washington, D.C. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications joins us. Hi, Phil. How are you? Yeah, great. Um, And great to be here. Well, what is the latest as Congress works on a disaster bill? I mean, they're still trying to get something done for the uh, hurricanes in the southeast quite a while ago. Now they're trying to expand it to include help for the folks in the Midwest dealing with flooding now. Where does it all stand? Well, it's uh, tied up on uh, other issues uh, primarily. Uh, they brought out a uh, well, the House earlier passed a bill that was taking care of the 2018 disaster, particularly the hurricanes in the southeast, which has hammered the cotton crop down in Georgia and uh, a number of other another of the crops in the southeast, wildfires in California. That passed the House um, back in January. hasn't gone anywhere in the Senate yet. This week they brought out a draft that uh, adds 2019 uh, to disasters, but there's still an open question about uh, whether they're going to compensate uh, producers along the Missouri who lost their, uh, uh, you know, their corn or beans were in uh, storage and flooded out. That's uh, that's been uh, an unanswered question this week, but it's really tied up in other issues, primarily Puerto Rico. It shows how long these aid packages can take on the federal level. Yes, it does. It also this is a sort of this is a must pass bill and whenever you have a must pass bill, um, everybody wants to get something in it and there's just there's a, there's just a there's a big uh, dispute going on between the White House and Democrats in Congress over how money has been spent or should be spent and Puerto Rico that's that's already been allocated, plus some additional funding that uh, the Democrats are get uh, are trying to get. So that's that's really the biggest issue that's tied things up right now. Any votes scheduled on this? Anything coming up, or are they still going to keep arguing for a while? Well, uh, it's pending legislation in the Senate. Uh, it's it's on the floor. They just uh, didn't get an agreement this week. I, uh, I talked to the, the chairman of the, uh, well, actually both the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee and the top Democrat, uh, 
Um, it's elapsed. This is going on into next week, uh, still talking. Um, uh, the chairman, uh, Richard Shelby, said that Puerto Rico was the was the issue that was still holding it up. Uh, Pat Leahy, who's the top Democrat, said, oh, there's, there's some other things as well. So, um, you know, all I can say is stay tuned. But it is the... It is uh, on the floor in the Senate. Is the uh, it is the issue that they're trying to deal with right now? Okay, we're talking with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Phil, what are you hearing uh, on on USMCA? Uh, we've heard, you know, out of Canada that they might not uh, approve it if the tariffs aren't lifted, and we we hear, you know, Democrats in the House with different concerns raised about it. Uh, is there momentum for USMCA, or is it struggling, you think? Well, I'm not sure that I would call it momentum yet. Uh, the House, uh, the White House has really sort of launched its lobbying effort, bringing uh, people up to the, up to the White, members up to the White House. Uh, they, they're just really getting their uh, outreach ramped up. They had a conference call with farm groups, agribusiness leaders this, uh, this week as well. Uh, as you mentioned, it's the tariff issues that are going to have to get resolved. Uh, Canada says those tariffs on steel and aluminum have to come off. They've reiterated that this that this week. Foreign minister was in uh, D.C. and reiterated that. However, uh, the U.S. Trade Representative uh, Bob Lighthizer has emphasized um, that uh, they're not going to just do away with the tariffs unless they get some kind of quota to uh, on. Uh, uh, imports of uh, uh, Canadian uh, Canadian steel. So that's uh, uh, that's we don't have a resolution to that yet. Okay, so we'll continue to watch that. But uh, uh, obviously, there there are plenty of hurdles yet to overcome uh, on USMCA. One other note uh, this week: uh, an expected result uh, when the when the new when the Green New Deal came up uh, for the vote in the Senate. Uh, but that certainly is not going away. The Green New Deal is going to be a big part of the 2020 presidential election, isn't it? Absolutely, and that's that's really what's going on here. It's positioning for the election. Um, Democrats believe they've got a, uh, a, a powerful issue with a lot of appeal to their base, a lot of appeal to, to younger voters, and uh, they are going to... Um, stay on this right through 2020. Uh, obviously, nothing is going to really happen in Congress uh, before 2021, and uh, that's going to depend on what happens in the election next year as well. So it, it's an issue. Uh, and and, that's, and I, the president, president's made it clear, I think his quote was, I love campaigning against the Green New Deal. So he's he's going to bring it up a lot. Yes, he is. That was the whole point of the Senate having a vote uh, this past week, uh, where nobody nobody voted for it. Uh, all the Democrats, uh, are, are almost all, but I think uh, three voted present. Uh, the others voted uh, uh, no, along with all the uh, with all the uh, Republicans. So it, you know, Democrats said it was a stunt. But it, you know, it just illustrated that point uh, that you just made that the Republicans see this as a winning issue as well. Yeah, a lot of messaging has been going on this week around the uh, the the uh, Green New Deal. That's for sure. We're going to yeah. hear a lot more about and, uh, about those messages going forward. 
exactly right. <laughs> From both sides. Yeah. Well, All right. All right, Phil. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications uh, there in Washington, D.C. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the chairman of the Iowa Corn Growers Association about uh, uh, a lawsuit filed against the state of Iowa by two environmental groups. We're going to get reaction from uh, the Iowa corn growers. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. You want to make the most of your wheat crop's yield potential. BASF has a full portfolio of fungicides to help, starting with Preaxor brand fungicide. It gives you early to mid-season disease control, stress protection, and improved growth efficiency, which you need for higher yields. Now combine that with Nexacorzemium brand fungicide for early to mid-season applications, and you've got disease control that helps deliver healthier, greener leaves longer. And more green means more photosynthesis more grain mass, and potential yield. Now add in Caramba brand fungicide, and you're getting best-in-class head scab suppression plus control of late-season foliar diseases. That gives you a yield advantage over infected wheat acres that are left untreated. The fact is with Preaxor fungicide, Nexacor fungicide, and Caramba fungicide all together in one portfolio, portfolio you're, you're covered, covered all the way through harvest. harvest. That's a, a winning, winning combination. combination. For more, ask your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now is Mark Recker, chair of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Mark, thanks for joining us. Got to start off asking you, what's the latest that you're seeing and hearing on the uh, flood conditions in Iowa? Uh, you know, we just had our uh, quarterly board meeting here the other day, Mike, and um, talking to all those guys from that part of the state, it, it is just not a good situation at all down there. Um, and I know that uh, the government response has, has been good. The governor's been there. The president issued the declaration. And it's going to take a long time for recovery, certainly. And, and a lot of questions are going to have to get answered. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's as devastating as you've heard uh, by what I've hear, heard from my uh, fellow farmers. Yeah, I know your, your, as you said, your governor, uh, your Department of Agriculture, and USDA, your former Iowa Ag Secretary Bill Northey is, is also very involved uh, uh, from a USDA standpoint to, to assess and to see what assistance can be made available to folks there in Iowa and in the other flooded, flooded states. Yes, um, all, all hands on deck for that one. They've all been engaged on it, um, trying to help uh, help that situation. And like I said, it's going to be a long process and um, uh, um, a lot of work to be done there. All right. Mark Reckers with us, chair of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Uh, want to get his thoughts on this lawsuit that's been filed. Two environmental groups, Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement and Food and Water Watch, have filed a lawsuit against the state of Iowa which claims the state has violated its obligation to protect the Raccoon River for the use and benefits of Iowans. Uh, Mark, uh, obviously a lot of the focus is on agriculture and runoff from fields. Uh, what is your reaction, your response uh, to this lawsuit? So we went through this uh, a couple years ago from the Des Moines Waterworks, and that lawsuit was dismissed. 
Um, and, you know, regardless of the lawsuits, we're doing our work that we're supposed to be doing, trying to help uh, improve Iowa's water quality. Um, this Things like this are more of a diversion and uh, for us, and it basically takes resources away uh, from the work that we can be doing in this area. Um, you know, as a, as a farm organization, commodity organization, we put a lot of time and effort into helping educate farmers and to project, put projects in and working with other groups to help, um, you know, uh, farmers do things on their land that they can contribute to improving the water quality. But anytime you're get you're involved in something like this, it's going to take resources. It's going to take time and money, right? It is. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of money. Money that could be used for better purposes um, uh, instead of going to attorneys' fees. And it's going to be it's going to be a long, I'm sure, a long process to to work through this. Um, but like I said, Mike, in the meantime, we're going to do keep doing what we've been doing. And that is work uh, on the things that we work on to help improve water quality through our programs and our producers. Yeah. Tell us more about Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy that you are implementing. Right. So that uh, is a program that uh, has been around for a few years, and we've received funding for that uh, through the legislature the past couple of years. Um, it's an effort to reduce the amount of uh, you know, nitrogen phosphorus leaving the farms. And in coordinating with that, there's dollars available um, for investing in projects farmers can use to put in cover crops, edge of field practices, um, uh, incentive dollars, just to get them started on uh, the path to improving their farms from, from a water quality perspective. Do you feel agriculture gets unfairly blamed for these issues uh do you, you feel there's more spotlight put on agriculture than maybe other uh areas that uh, might also be a part of all this i think agriculture agriculture has a target on its back um and it's uh you know up to us to explain what we're doing uh and we're doing a lot of things but there's a lot of moving parts of course when you're talking about water quality and, and things leaving the soil because uh, Iowa's nitrogen-rich soil contains a lot of uh, uh, organic nitrogen nat- naturally that leaves the soil. So between that and, and the weather we have, there's a lot of variables at play here. Um, but what we can do is we can control what we control. Control. We'll invest resources where we think they're fit best. And that's why we're working with the universities, uh, the government, to find the best practices out there and then engage our producers and help them employ these practices. Now, the lawsuits against the state of Iowa, how will Iowa corn growers be involved in this? Uh, we're still deciding that, uh, deciding what the, what the steps are that we want to take uh, to help, uh, you know, defend our producers. So that is a work in progress. Is this case similar to the Des Moines Water Works issue a, a while back? Uh, it's, it's targeting the uh, Raccoon River watershed, so it's, it's similar in that fashion. Beyond that, I, I'm not uh, not sure how much more similar, not knowing the full merits of the case. Mm-hmm. I think, though, as we said during time of that whole Des Moines watershed uh, issue, uh, I, the rest of the country watches uh, cases like this because it, it certainly can set precedents. And uh, so whether you're in Iowa or not, this is an issue to watch closely. It is. It is because it's, you know, not just Iowa, but um, other areas certainly are, are impacted by this, and it's something to watch close. And that's why, you know, we're going to step up like we always have and uh, tell our story 
and what, what we're doing as producers uh, positively to impact Iowa's water quality. But it does show, Mark, uh, and I've often said I think one of the biggest challenges facing agriculture moving forward is the increased scrutiny uh, from an environmental standpoint on issues like this that, that agriculture will face, uh, everything being watched closely, what's coming out of those fields. So uh, this, this is a huge issue now and, and into the future. Absolutely it is. As you look at, you know, the step here is more regulation on this. Um, and the trouble with that is all of our farms are not the same. We farm in different geographies, different soil types, different topographies. You can't, it's hard to treat everything the same. Everything requires different practices that work better. It, things work better in northeast Iowa than they do in southwest Iowa. So it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's what we really need to avoid. We need to... Uh, you know, use the best technology, the best science available, and apply these practices uh, and get our farmers engaged on this, that they can apply these practices through the use of these incentives and these dollars available and get going on this. Well, that's uh, certainly a case we'll be watching closely. Mark, before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, EPA holding a public hearing today, uh, and we've just learned about uh, they've granted more uh, small refinery exemptions, RFS waivers. Uh, I know you're concerned about that from the ethanol standpoint, as well as waiting to see if they can get uh, everything done in time to allow E15 sales this summer. What are your thoughts on these issues? So, and that's the E15 is important, but frankly, Mike, uh, whatever we gain with E15, uh, they're giving away tenfold with these refinery exemptions uh, from this administration. And uh, this administration's EPA has been the cause of this, and, and these are things that need to stop. And we're keeping, we're, we're going to keep the fight on that. But these are just devastating the number of bushels of corn grind that we're losing because of these small refinery exemptions. And it's something that we're going to keep pointing out to the administration, fighting back that uh, these need to stop. Yeah, I mean the president has been very vocal about his support for renewable fuels, and especially right there in your state of Iowa. But his EPA, under two administrators now, uh, their actions are different than what his words have been. The actions are different than what the words have been, absolutely. Um, as much as we appreciate E15, and that the E15 year-round use and higher blends beyond that, actually, is are what we need, but that's long overdue. But the, the counteractivity of these re, re, exemptions are so devastating to us in a time when we are fighting that battle, fighting the trade battle. Um, farmers need to see some relief on these fronts. Uh, we need to get the USMCA finished, get the steel and aluminum tariffs off so we can finish the USMCA agreement. Uh, hopeful that something can come together on China. There's just a lot of pressure out here in, uh, in farm country, Mike. And uh, farmers need relief, and we don't need to be uh, have these backdoor waivers uh, put on us and, and keep having these done because, you know, it's, it's a knife in the back from this administration, the way they're do- allowing these waivers. All right, Mark, thank you uh, for your thoughts, your perspective on these issues, and uh, uh, we'll stay in touch, especially as we see how this, uh, this uh, lawsuit uh, proceeds, and we'll, we'll keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Okay, take care. Mark Recker, he is chair of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. He pointed out a lot of these issues, and we talk a lot about them here on AOA. These are all critical issues for agriculture now and into the future, and uh, 
For some of them, we've been waiting for some resolution for some time. Continue to wait, such as on the trade front. We're going to talk about that next with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. And on the uh, renewable fuels front, we'll talk later with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters on that. So much more to come. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's uh, get an update on trade issues. Dave Salmonson with us, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, this roller coaster with China is amazing. I mean, we get news. Uh, they're, they're buying some more again. That's good news. Uh, but then we hear about, uh, you know, some comments uh, that these talks could go weeks and months yet before there's any resolution. And then another day we'll hear that, hey, maybe they're close to getting something done. Seems like this, it's all over the place. Well, it certainly does, and the uh, time goes on. Specifically right now, as we're speaking, uh, the U.S. Trade Representative, Ambassador Lighthizer, and the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, are in Beijing doing talks. And next week, a delegation from China, the same people they're visiting with over there, are coming here, uh, coming to D.C. for several days of talk. So, you know, there was a break uh, towards, you might say, the first half of March. I, I'm sure there was behind-the-scenes discussions, but nothing publicly. Now we're getting back to a more public face of this. And, again, there's a discussion, well, this could, could this be leading up to a potential meeting between the two presidents, President Trump and President Xi, maybe towards the end of April here in the U.S. Well, that was, we, we kind of went around that uh, thinking there might be a meeting uh, right now, this time, end of March, and it didn't, uh, didn't come together yet. So that all depends on how the uh, negotiations go ahead, um, whether they can resolve some of these uh, issues or at least make progress. seems to me they're still in the point where this is about what does it take for each side to reduce tariffs, Will China throw in that mix, uh, buying more agriculture products, more energy products, other things from the U.S., more commitments on purchases? And is that enough to uh, make an agreement on that and keep talking about the deeper long-term issues on technology transfer and intellectual property protections and such? So um, it's hard to see exactly where we are at this point. 
as as you noted in the beginning, there's uh, you hear from the National Economic Advisor, Mr. Kudlow, saying, you know, well, this this might take a while longer, but again, nothing definitive. Well, we've known all along that whatever, whenever an announcement is made about a deal, it'll have to be something that both sides can somehow claim victory on, right? Neither side's going to look like they caved in and uh, gave in to the other side. Well, that's that's uh, certainly true. Everybody has domestic uh, constituencies, uh, policies they want to uphold, uh, where they stand in the world. You know, anything the U.S. and China does, the whole world watches. And um, more immediately, you might say, the respective countries' uh, stock markets watch, of course. And, uh, you know, the business community watches, and everybody watches. Our Congress is watching, and all of us in agriculture are watching very closely. Had a announcement at the end of last week that got a lot of attention uh, from the ag side, uh, particularly, and others, where the talk was about enforcement. How do you enforce a deal with China? Now, usually when you're in a tariff situation, you'd say, well, okay, we have a deal. Um, we have some things, mostly the U.S., what the U.S. wants China to do. Uh, you know, we'll roll back or eliminate or at least roll back the tariffs that we have on you for now. But if you don't live up to your agreement, we'll put them back on. Well, then you had the president, I think, is uh, putting out there as a negotiating tactic, probably saying, well, you know, maybe we won't do that. We'll keep the tariffs uh, on China, at least some of them, uh, for a while. And uh, they have to live up to their agreements before we even think of reducing those. Well, that's, uh, you know, that uh, strikes a sensitive chord with uh, ag uh, exporters because, the retaliation from China, of course, is on the tariffs that the U.S. put on China, on uh, the retaliation on ag exports. So uh, we're watching that very closely. I think it is a major point in these discussions, uh, especially from the, from the U.S. side, what kind of enforcement mechanisms are included in any deal. Dave, I keep asking this question. I want to get your thoughts on it uh, because I have concerns that whenever a deal is finalized, assuming it will be, my concern is agriculture will never make up, or at least not for a long, long time, what it's lost in, you know, since this all started. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it probably depends on the commodity and the timing. Um, if we can, something can be taken care of, hopefully in the next few months. We keep saying that, but that's the time horizon we work with. And it's there, so major purchasers in China, let's talk grain, soybeans. Will they come back to the U.S. market uh, when the time is right for them to buy from the U.S.? Um, we certainly would like to think so. If the tariff uh, burdens and obstacles aren't there, uh, you think that would fit back into their normal buying patterns. Um, sure, they've sourced more from Brazil, but they always bought a lot from Brazil. Um, but they always have, again, bought almost as much from the U.S. So we, we'd... Uh, at least, I think, look forward to over time getting back there. Other commodities, if you've got more niche commodity, I'm thinking of like the California tree nut producers, um, which uh, sell an awful lot of their product into the China market and have done for a long time. They really helped develop that market. But there are a few other producers of the world of some of these uh, tree nuts. There are Iran, the Middle Eastern countries, some other countries. Um, maybe it'll be harder to uh, get your market share back, or at least you'll have to... Uh, give a price incentive to do so. So probably depending on the commodity, it may take uh, longer rather than shorter. Well, hopefully we get more than just back to where we were, because if we just get back to where we were in market share, then you kind of wonder, wow, 
what about all this we've lost uh, here in the last year? So, you know, it would take a long time to try to make that up, uh, hopefully with increased sales, but we'll see. Talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Dave, uh, what's your update and what's your take on uh, USMCA, where it stands, and uh, how it's going as far as building towards a vote? Yeah, there's a couple things happening. Um, <laughs> so many trade things are all happening at once, aren't they? Uh, we've got a couple structural things happening and some political things. I'll start with the structural thing real quickly. On or about April 19th is when the uh, International Trade Commission gives their required report on the impact of USMCA on the broader uh, U.S. economy. Everybody's uh, usually waiting on that. And then on that time or soon thereafter, um, the administration can send to Congress. This is a required thing and usually comes in time after the ITC report is out. Several reports, they're called basically the, the final legal text of the agreement, the statement of administrative action, several other reports that are by the Trade Promotion Authority law they have to send up. So they can do that. Uh, they have to do that, and this gets a little tricky. Hopefully I'll say this clearly. Once they send those up, um, 30 days later, they could send up the implementing bill. They're not obliged to send up the implementing bill, but before you send up an implementing bill, 30 days before that, you have to send up all these reports. But it doesn't require the, the clock doesn't really start on sending up the legislation from the administration just because they send up these reports. Um, so you know, kind of things that could be happening in May could happen later. So that's kind of the structural thing. The political thing here is that um, there are obstacles have developed to this. Uh, several things people talk about on the Hill, of course. Uh, you get people like Finance Committee Chairman Senator Grassley from Iowa, many others saying, you know, we want to see those steel and aluminum tariffs with Canada and Mexico dealt with, the retaliation gone before we consider USMCA in Congress. So that's an issue that has to be dealt with. Um, you get several people, especially on the union side, saying Mexico agreed, and they did as part of USMCA, to pass um, labor provisions through their government uh, this year. Basically, it was supposed to be done right about now, and I guess they're going to consider taking those up in the Mexican Congress soon. Minimum wage provisions, uh, collective bargaining, things like that. So they're saying we've got to wait on that. Other issues have come up, drug pricing, enforcement issues. Um, so there are issues to be talked about and worked out with Congress before they can move on this. So. This has uh, both a procedural ways to go and some, um, you might say, political obstacles uh, to hurdle before the Congress can uh, take up this legislation, um, we hope, sooner rather than later this year. My thought is it's going to go right down to the wire like so many of these things do. There are going to be a lot of threats, the president threatening to pull us out of NAFTA and, and lots of things like that. I, I mean, it seems like this is going to get pretty uh, bumpy, uh, even more so as we get as we go through it, and it, it'll come right down to the wire. Well, they usually do. Uh, trade agreements have to wind their way, even though if people – you don't really have a lot of people I hear saying – they're against it as an agreement, but here it is. It's going to be a piece of legislation. People want to both make improvements. They want other things. Um, using around this uh, leverage to get things, you might say. So there, we're in a period of bargaining uh, when it comes to any piece of legislation, and some of these issues have to be dealt with, and some may not be as popular and uh, can be uh, sort of uh, uh, 
pushed aside, you might say, or dealt with in a, in a way that uh, isn't uh, holding up the legislation, but they all have to be addressed and uh, before we can get to the point where legislation is ready to go to the floor for a vote. Hey, real quick, you hearing anything on uh, talks with Japan? Anything scheduled? Talks with Japan, um, we had heard earlier on that there might be a U.S. delegation heading to Japan the end of the month. Well, now it's the end of March, and uh, that really hasn't happened yet, so I think that's been pushed more into April. Certainly the idea that the U.S. might impose tariffs on imported autos and auto parts um, would be a uh, burden to those talks, to put it uh, that way. Um, that's something I think the Japanese are watching very closely and really want to see that resolved uh, one way or the other before they engage in any talks with the U.S. So we continue to watch and wait. Dave, thanks for the update. Okay, thank you. All right, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Interesting public hearing going on today. EPA is holding this uh, on the RFS and a lot of concern in the renewable fuels industry about more waivers being granted. We'll talk with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters next here on AOA. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Joining us now is Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, timing is everything. So you have EPA. We find out they've granted more uh, waivers to the RFS, to uh, the oil industry, right ahead of a big public hearing in Michigan today. So that's fresh on everybody's minds. It makes for an interesting uh, meeting with uh, a lot of folks uh, speaking today. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, it certainly steps on with the message what the EPA was hoping to get out of today's hearing, which is uh, E15 is here, um, and they and, and get a kind of pat on the back. There's a very little bit pats being on the back here of the EPA. It sounds like it's more a lot of the folks that have the microphone are taking this opportunity to, dis- to discuss the, the impacts of the small refining waivers on their on their particular business um, and, and ignoring the, uh, I don't want to say ignoring, it's probably overstating it, but certainly uh, not talking as much about the, the benefits of the E15. So it's clear there's a, a message that the biofuel community, I think collectively, I think they're coordinating um, largely on, on the messaging here. They're, they're not happy with the small refining exemptions. I remember you and I talking about this when this, we were in the transition from Scott Pruitt to Andrew Wheeler. And I think I remember saying something like um, they may like Wheeler's methods more, maybe a little more transparent, but they may not like the results anymore. And that's kind of seems like where we're at. This seems to be the end result when it comes to these waivers, these exemptions, seems to be the same with Wheeler as they were with Pruitt. Yeah, I, I think I view it a little bit differently in a sense that I think the, the 17 waivers that were kind of boxed in at this point, you already issued 30-some prior to, to um, prior to Wheeler taking the hold. So 
to me, you know, the first time that Wheeler's big decision he's going to make, you can, you could argue he's 15 is a big decision, but I think that path is already going, we're already going down that path, is how he deals with the 18s, right? So I think mm-hmm. that is that is going to be his fingerprint, and that's something, um, you know, he could be held completely accountable for. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, he thinks he's somebody that you would try to, you know, at least try to find some kind of political middle ground. He, he seems that he's that kind of person. Um, but the implications for that and, and move forward, we have, uh, you know, we have the resets and we have some other big decisions coming down the pike. I, I think how he goes on these 18s will, will say a lot about how he, he plans on mediating future uh, issues that arise. So I, I can't overstate how I think important it is for um, a lot of folks, stakeholders, on how he, how he does the, uh, the 18 SREs. I mean, it seems to me the administration is trying to have it both ways here. They're trying to be able to say to the oil industry, hey, you're getting your waivers off the from the RFS, and to the biofuels industry, they're trying to say, hey, you're going to get E15 summer sales, and the biofuels industry is saying, now, wait a minute, that that doesn't uh, even out. We, we lose in that deal because the, the exemptions uh, more than wipe out any gains we'd get from year-round sales of E15. For sure, and I think there was uh, there was, I think there was uh, at least the people I talked to. I think there was some pause once the administration announced the E15 that you know there's they have some other gripes, but let's just let's give them credit and let's not try to uh, you know step on that message. And I and I think there was um, an effort by the biofuel community to uh, to to give credit to the Trump administration, but those days have passed now. I think. You know, uh, while the administration may view the E15 as kind of an exchange or some kind of trade for the continuation of the waivers, that, that like you said, that certainly that is not a trade-off that the the, the biofuel community is going to going to take lying down. And 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 as as we always get to Mike at some point in our conversation, it's really going to going to take a, a judge if if the, the biofuel community is correct and 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 it is belief that the administration is. Um, mishandling this program and not following the law, it's not going to be a political process that changes the EPA. It has to be a judge. That's the, that's the only way that will compel this EPA to do, if indeed what the, if the biofuels community is right, um, to compel the EPA to, to kind of follow the statute if, if, if they are indeed not well, there's there so seems to be consensus that the biodiesel industry is really getting hit hard and being hurt by these waivers. There's there's a debate going on on how much it's impacting the ethanol industry. But this hearing today, Jared, do you think anything really changes after this? Anything comes from this, or is this just uh, allowing people to vent their frustrations? You know, I can just tell you, actually, like uh, as uh, Reuters is approaching a story, I, I don't know if we'd even do a story today because I think the battle lines have been clearly drawn you know we we know we know where all the sides you know, all the positions of all the sides so i don't know if we learned anything new um these hearings are kind of a, a monologue not a dialogue right so we have uh it's not like the epa is there answering questions and having a discussion so it's just uh it's just uh folks and stakeholders expressing what, what we already know i i think there's there's some relative news to the fact that the, the biofuel community is taking so much time um, discussing the small refinery waivers, and, and I think that's that's an indication of kind of their angst over that. Um, I think they know, or at least they know, they feel that these 2018 waivers are not going to go their way, and they're trying to plant the flag early. Um, 
So I, that's my takeaway from you know what, what's happening today as far as the news value. But overall, I think nothing changes today other than, you know, I think they're sending a signal to the EPA that, you know, we're unhappy. And EPA is responsive to political pressure. There's no doubt about it. Um, but as we've seen constantly in this, Mike, there's, you know, political pressure on both sides and the tug of war. So every side somewhat feels dissatisfied. Yeah, and as I mentioned, the debate continues over the impact of these uh, waivers uh, when it comes to the ethanol market. And uh, we'll save that uh, conversation for another day because that's an interesting one. We've heard, of, uh, we've heard from both sides on this, a back and forth, and I'll be interested to get your perspective on that uh, next time we talk, Jared, okay? All right, Mike. Take it easy. Okay, thanks, Jared. Jared Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter, for Reuters, again, uh, EPA holding that public hearing in Michigan today and hearing from a lot of folks, especially in the biofuels industry, with their frustrations over the granting of these waivers and also uh, uh, their anxiety about whether or not EPA can get E15 approved for this summer and if it's going to be more than offset by the waivers. So we'll talk more about that next week and in the days ahead. Have a great weekend. Thank you for being with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.